You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Pastor Joe, such a blessing in my life. He turns microphones on for me. He's awesome. Um, hey, I just uh, want to say I'm honored to be here. And, um, and Pastor Joel, I said this first service, but I'll say it again. Um, our family love you and Angela in First Assembly as a family. We're standing with you. Our staff has been praying for Angela every week, and our family is praying as well. And you know you have a, an army of intercessors out there, and we know that it starts here at First Assembly. And so we know God is able. Amen. Amen, amen. And so I'm honored to be here this morning and to um, have this opportunity to come and connect with the body and, and give a bit of an update as well of what we're doing. Uh, for those who don't know me, um, as Pastor Joe mentioned, I am the, my wife and I, we direct Chi Alpha in the city of Chicago. We do ministry on um, about five different campuses primarily. This is our family. That's my wife, Chandra. That's our son, Ethan, on the left. And that's our three-month-old Cameron. He's with us as well. And so um, I'm a blessed man. I really am. And, and um, God has been so good to our family, allowing us to be on mission as a family. We are reaching Northwestern University, Loyola University, um, University of Illinois at Chicago, Columbia College in downtown Chicago, and St. Xavier way on the south side of Chicago. We call St. Xavier the Alaska of Chicago Chi Alpha because they're like in this like remotely um, out there on the southwest side. But God is doing a phenomenal work in our citywide ministry. We've seen dozens come to Jesus this school year. We've seen about a dozen get baptized in water, and we've had several get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Many of them are now getting disciple in making disciples through small groups and other forms of discipleship. And so we want to say thank you because you all are a church that has partnered with us for, uh, for many years now, actually, and have been standing with us, allowing us to be on mission. So we say thank you um, at Chicago Chi Alpha, but I also want to thank you on behalf of Chi Alpha at large. This church gets the strategic nature of reaching the college campus. I believe when we reach the college campus, we are reaching, we are influencing the influencers, if you know what I mean. And um, I'm excited to know that in less than several months, really in several months, you all are going to launch, and we're going to see normal Chi Alpha launch. Come on, somebody. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, I know, and many of you know, because Pastor Joe has not made any secret about it, but in just in, in friend-to-friend, uh, minister-to-minister conversation, this has been on his heart since day one to see ISU and other campuses reached in the normal and Bloomington area. And so uh, praise God when the vision becomes a reality. And that's, that's soon coming because First Assembly is on the front lines of mobilizing missionaries to the college campuses. And so uh, I look forward to just hearing all of the reports. Um, Jason Harshberger is one of um, our Chi Alpha missionaries. He's going to be the, the team lead up here in Normal. And I know him personally, and he is awesome, gifted, but yet, and, and not just gifted, but he really has a heart for people and, and reaching out. And so um, God is up to something phenomenal. So praise the Lord. Hey, I want to say a prayer before we um, get into the message this uh, morning. Is that okay? Amen. If you can bow your heads with me. Jesus, we pray that you will continue to speak. Lord, you've already been speaking to us about how you take initiative in approaching us, God. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, before we 
even able to draw near to you, you're already drawing near to us, God. And so even right now, would you in your own way ask God to speak to your heart these next few moments? Hallelujah, God. Jesus, speak to your people. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would um, anoint me, Lord, in my frailty and, and, and weakness, God. Anoint these feeble lips to share a word that would change lives, that would glorify you, Lord. May you increase, God, and may I decrease. We thank you for being here with us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Our text this morning is going to be found in Philippians chapter 2, and you can just take a look at the screen and follow along with me. Philippians 2, 5 through 7, it says, oh, oh fantastic. Praise God. Man, this is like the fifth mic I've had today. We, we had the, the headset. Hey, I love it. I love it. Man, I feel this is, this is good stuff. Praise God. Um, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The title of today's message is simply, Keep It Moving. Keep it moving. Oftentimes we hear that and we think negativity comes your way. Things are trying to distract you. Discouragement tries to set in. Don't pay it any mind. Just keep it moving. It's kind of the whole shake it off sort of sentiment, right? Um, but that's not what this message is about. This message is based upon the premise and the fact that God has put things in each of our lives. He's deposited things in each of us as Christ followers, but he didn't deposit those things for them just to stay there. He's like, Todd, what I've put in you, I want you to give to others. I want you to keep it moving. I want you to pass it along. And in essence, what I want to get at this morning and going into the afternoon, what God has done in you, he wants to do through you. And I want to talk to you about the, the mindset, the map, and the mandate. Let's talk first about the mindset. The mindset is simply that we must embrace discomfort. Yeah, I didn't think I would get any amens with that one right there. What a way to start, right? Embrace discomfort. Come on. I don't like discomfort. Come on. If we all enjoy our midday naps. We enjoy just resting and relaxing. But we don't necessarily enjoy going for runs um, however many miles that would stretch you beyond your level of comfort. No one loves to be inconvenienced. But when there is a purpose for the inconvenience and there's a higher purpose for the discomfort, we realize that it is worth it. Now, Jesus modeled this for us. It tells us that in verses 5 and 6, in your relationships with one another have the same what? Mindset as Christ Jesus. What was that mindset? It says he was in very nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The mindset is that we must be others focused. And Jesus was others focused. He was focused on us. It tells us in Hebrews 12 that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, because he saw that it was worth it. 
But let me just back up and paint a picture of where Jesus was coming from, literally. He was in heaven. It was him, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, enjoying perfect harmony, unity, and fellowship. They had the whole world in their hands. Come on, right? 24-7 worship and praise. That sounds very plush, very comfortable, and rightfully, rightfully so. That's where Jesus was. But yet he realized, like, man, there is a mission that I have to accomplish. And, in, and what he did was he says, I am going to, in verse 6, I'm going to, even though I'm in very nature God, I'm not going to consider my equality with the Father something to be used to my own advantage. I'm going to leave heaven and go to earth. In leaving heaven and coming to earth, Jesus literally did what we need to do. He left his comfort zone. And I want to talk to you briefly about comfort zones because we need to embrace this comfort. Here's the definition of comfort zone. It's a place or situation where one feels safe or at ease and without stress. A behavioral state within which a person operates in an anxiety-neutral condition. Anybody stuck in neutral this morning? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. Using a limited set of behaviors to deliver a steady level of performance. Usually without a sense of risk. Means that sometimes we can carve out a certain pocket for ourselves where on the outside it looks like we're really going above and beyond, but we know there's more. We use that limited set of behaviors to deliver a steady level of performance. See, God is always calling us higher, calling us deeper, and calling us into more. That's why what might be comfortable for me might be a stretch for you. What might be comfortable for you might be a stretch for your neighbor. That's why we need to be honest with the Holy Spirit when it comes to embracing discomfort. When I read my Bible, I don't know about you, but I read a lot about radical Christianity, courageous Christianity, but I don't see anything in the Bible that talks about comfortable Christianity. And in John chapter 1, we're introduced to a certain doctrine that many of us are familiar with, but let's read it. It says, the word became flesh. He left his comfort zone. Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the doctrine we're introduced to right here is the doctrine of incarnation, meaning that God himself put on human flesh and, and dwelt amongst us. And I want to talk to you about incarnational mission as opposed to extractional mission. And if those words are new to you, I'll do my best to explain it. We won't spend a ton of time here, but let me talk about the doctrine of incarnation. The doctrine of incarnation, it holds that Jesus, the pre-existent divine logos, which means is Greek for the actual word, word, W-O-R-D. It's the divine expression of God. It says that he came to dwell amongst us. He became incarnate. He became man. He left where he was. And what he did was he modeled what you and I ought to do. We ought to follow his model. 
He left his comfort zone. He went where the people were. He put on skin. And we need to become all things to all men and go where they are. Otherwise, we are in fear of or in danger of, next slide, of moving into extractional mission. Incarnational mission says we come together to worship on Sunday and celebrate and fellowship, which is biblical. But then we scatter to go on mission, to go and reach those in the highways, in the byways, and bring them to Jesus. Extractional mission says that we are here, but they need to come to us. Extractional mission says they really want to know God. They know where to find us. But that's not biblical. See, the the Bible that we all are very well aware of tells us that Jesus, because he wanted to engage in relationship, he didn't wait for Todd to go and find him. He left his comfort zone, went out and found Todd where Todd was at. A broken young man coming from the projects in the city of Chicago, going down to school to have the college experience. But God met me where I was. And he drew me in through vessels who are living incarnationally. And I believe that we have incarnational, missional people in the house this morning. And God is not just calling us, but we are responding to the call, and we are going versus being extractional. I was telling the first service how I had that praying grandmother. When I first got saved, nobody in my family was a Christ follower except my praying Baptist grandmother. Come on, let's give it up for praying grandmothers. Come on. And, and I'm serious. She would pray so long at night. I'm like, Grandma, are you asleep? She's like, no, I'm praying. Like she'd get on her knees and she would pray. And in the morning, she'd wake up and she'd read at least two hours every single morning faithfully through her King James Version Bible. Oh, my goodness. She'd just take it in. And one day we were having a conversation. I was talking about wanting to make an impact for Jesus. This is maybe a year or two into my walk with God. She's now going on to be with Jesus. But I will never forget what she said. So simple, but so kingdom. She said, Todd, they won't come to you. You have to go to them. She understood what it meant to live incarnationally. She understood what it meant to embrace discomfort. But let me make it simple. Extractional mission simply has the mentality, come to us. Incarnational mission has the mentality, we will go to you. And so that's the mindset we need to have. The mindset tells us the place that we need to leave. But where is it that God is calling us to go? Well, let's talk about the next point, the map. The map is this. We need to live in the third space. Everybody say third space. In Philippians 2, 7, it says, rather, he made himself nothing. He left his comfort zone. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. When Jesus left heaven, he was leaving his comfort zone. But where did he go? He came to earth. Earth was a type of third space. It was not inherently sacred like heaven. 
nor was it inherently secular, if you will, in terms of an evil place. We know that evil dwells here on earth, but he didn't go straight to Hades. He didn't go straight to hell. He came to earth to meet us where we were. And he was modeling for us to live in the third space, meeting people where they are. That's the map. I asked the first service, let me ask you guys here this service. Now, let's be honest. How many of you here are fans of maps, like physical maps? Okay, about, yeah, about four people. Yeah, about five or six people. Not a lot of us, right? Because we love GPS. We love our GPSs, right? I told my wife on the way up here, I just get these like, I wouldn't call them divine thoughts. There's just thoughts that God might bless, right? And I'm like, what if we did a throwback road trip where we don't use GPS, we go to another state, and we just take a physical map? She was like, hmm. And I'm like, well, we can get a phone book, right? And we don't drive. We've never driven a station wagon, but we might rent a station wagon just to like, you know, come on, vacation somebody, right? And, and she's like, hmm, you're, 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 up, you're up to something. I'm like, and... What if we just, we didn't use our phones. We just like stopped at certain like resting places and used pay phones. She's like, no, nah, it's not going to work, Todd. Those don't exist. Those don't exist anymore. But I'm like, man, let's do a throwback, right? Using a map. But here's the deal. I believe the map of God that leads us to the mission of God is always going to drop that, that pin, that, you know, somebody says, send me a pen of where you are. The pen is going to drop in the third space because that's where the people are. I'm going to try my best to make some sense of what a third space is. A third space is a sort of a neutral ground. It's a space that's not, again, inherently sacred like a church or inherently secular like a nightclub. But God is calling us to go there. For Jesus, earth was a third space, as I mentioned. During his time on earth, the third space was Matthew the tax collector's house. During his time on earth, the third space was along the roadside where he met blind Bartimaeus. The third space was at wedding feast where we saw miracles happen. The third space was at a well getting water. We see what Jesus modeled for us. There's not a whole lot happening. We saw Jesus do things in the synagogue. He flipped over tables. <laughs> but out and about, he was out there to seek and to save the lost. And he knew they weren't going to come to him. So he went to them. So what's your third space, First Assembly? What is our third space? For us, it might be the coffee shop. Any coffee drinkers here? Any coffee drinkers? Of course, of course. I know. I know how it goes. It might be the gym, our neighbor's home, the baseball game. Get this, even the lunch break at work could be your third space. See, the third space is simply this. It is where we turn strangers into neighbors. There are strangers in our lives that God wants to become neighbors in our lives. There are strangers in our lives that are future life group Members, and perhaps what about this? Life group leaders. But we need to first have the right mindset. And secondly, we need to have the right map and know where God is leading us. And a lot of times, we're already there. We're just not as present as we need to be. 
The third space is something that naturally is in our rhythms of everyday life. We just need to make the most of it. Now, for us in Kyalfa in Chicago, small groups are a big part of how we strategically reach the campus. And so for us, um, a lot of times our students, they hit that wall, our student leaders. We believe in our students being incarnational. We're like, hey, you don't want, it's not just on Pastor Todd or, or whomever else to lead everybody to Jesus. And I wish that I could, but I know I can't because you guys are way more anointed than I can ever be because you're in there amongst your other friends and classmates and colleagues. And so they're on mission leading small groups. They're living incarnationally, but often they hit a wall. And they say, hey, I remember remember one time they were saying, hey, you know, Pastor Todd was struggling to not just get members, but to retain members. Some might come for two weeks and then they we don't see them for three weeks. Or some come consistently, but they're not really engaged. And sometimes we just struggle getting people in general. And I totally am like, hey, look, you just have to persevere. We encourage them. But then I asked them a question. And I'm going to show you the question that I asked them. I remember us having this meeting. It was up at Northwestern University. And we were meeting with all of our student leaders from across the city. And I asked them, how do you maintain health in the following areas? The areas of spirituality, your academics, your social life, and physically, how do you stay healthy? And they gave me some really predictable and and very normal and expected answers. And how do you maintain your spiritual health? You pray, you worship, and you read. How do you maintain academically, academic health? You go to class. That's a start. If any college students, if you go to class, that's, that's one step toward being a good student, Okay. And, and then they have study sessions, sometimes by themselves and sometimes in a group. Socially, they do coffee. They, go, they have different gatherings and hangouts. They go watch the Avengers movie. Anybody seen Avengers yet? I'm not, I'm not like into, wow, like three people. That's a shocker. I asked that question with our students. It's like the whole, well, the hands go up because they want to see it. They hadn't seen it yet. Anyway, they go to movies. They go shopping. Physically, they go to the gym, outdoor. They, they, they run in the outdoors or they just rest. And I asked this just to kind of get a peek into what their everyday lives look like. Because here's the reality here as well. The majority of our week is spent outside of the four walls of this church. The majority of our weeks are spent at our workplace, at the mall, if you will, in class, at the gym, in the cubicle at work, whatever it might be. And then I asked them, my, my follow-up question was, if you're doing all these things, you're praying, you're studying, you're going to the gym, you're doing coffee, but you're having a hard time getting people to stick or getting people to even come, I asked, I asked them, in how many of these spaces are you inviting your small group members into How many of these spaces are you inviting them into? Are you intersecting your lives outside of the actual small group meeting or life group meeting? Are you really doing life with your small group members? And my other question was, in how many of these spaces are you looking for new small group members? And you could have heard a pin drop. Not because they were offended or hurt. The Holy Spirit began to speak to them like, wait a minute. 
My life is living, is being lived out in the third space, but I'm not making the most of these opportunities. And there are people that God has put in my path. I'm just not connecting with them because I'm not conscious of what God is wanting to do. Again, when it says the word became flesh, that word, word, means the divine expression. We are called, First Assembly, to be divine expressions everywhere that we go. What are you doing every, throughout your week to maintain spiritual, academic, social, physical, financial health, whatever the health category you might be? Then my next question is, are you exploiting that third space for the sake of the gospel? When I first moved to Chicago, coming back from Carbondale, I'm from Chicago, but I went down state for school and I was on staff at a church in the Chi Alpha ministry for years. Came back to Chicago to start Chi Alpha in Chicago and I moved to this neighborhood, which is on the south side, even though I was born and raised on the north side. And so I'm in this new neighborhood. And when you go to a new neighborhood, you need to figure everything out. Where's the bank? right? Where's the laundromat, right? Where's the nearest expressway you need to be able to navigate? And for me, almost at the top of that list, of course, where's the church? You need, I, I did go to church, Pastor Joe. I, I did find a church. But almost at the top of that list was where's the barber shop? Because I needed to know, like, man, where I need to get a fresh cut. And I'm like, God, I also want to be on mission at the same time. And so I literally prayed and said, God, lead me to the right barber, that sounds crazy, right? But I'm like, man, that's a third space. And I spent 45 minutes praying in my Hyde Park apartment. And then I got in my car and I drove around and said, God, you will leave me. I landed. I didn't fly, but I did land at this, um, this, this, this barbershop on 47th Street. And I stepped inside. And the first guy I saw, I said, are you the head barber? He said, yes, we exchanged information. His name was Mondrell. He began to be my barber for the next, really, um, year and a half, two years. Over the first several months, we began to engage in conversation. And the conversations that were happening around me were not Christian conversations, people. And the conversation that my barber was having himself was not Christian. It was not Christ-centered. But I began to share about what I'm doing and the mission that God had me on. And just began to do life with the, with the gentleman. Because I knew God had sent me there not just to get a haircut, but to be on mission. And I kid you not, about three, about four months into getting my haircut, all of our text messages and exchanges up to that point was only about appointment setting. This time he reached out and said, Todd, I need to talk with you. I'm going through some things in my life, and I know I need to give my heart to God. Can we meet? I'm like, whoa. I said, let me see. I'm kind of busy. No, I didn't. I was like, absolutely. We met up. And I began to share with him, I can't offer you anything but Jesus. And really, this is your, your felt need for this, that, and the next, but your real need is Jesus. And he received it. And he said, Todd, can we meet up again next week? Sure. He called me up a day before we met up. And he said, Todd, I was wondering, can I invite some friends too? Absolutely. I get to his apartment, and it was him and eight other guys sitting around the table. And he said, Todd, can you tell them what you told me? And I began to share the gospel with all of them. And at the end, I kid you not, I said, do you guys want to accept Jesus right now? And we had an altar call at that table. Every last one of them prayed to receive Jesus at that table. And there were many other things that God did in Montreal's life over the next year or so. But let me just tell you, there are Montreal's in your spaces. 
in those third spaces. Because it is not enough to simply explore third spaces, like be there. We must exploit the third spaces in our lives. What does that mean? We can explore it just by being amongst people. But if we're not there on purpose to multiply and to move the kingdom forward, we're not going to get the most out of those opportunities that God has placed in our lives. Which brings me to my final thought. There's a mandate, and our mandate is to make disciples. Can I get an amen? We are called to make disciples. Yes, I am a missionary. And I see, I see Ben and Kathleen Struss, missionaries to Indonesia. Yeah, we are missionaries, but we're all called to be missional. We're all called to live on purpose. We're all called to make disciples. And I just want to quote what's already been shared from the stage, Matthew 28, 19. Can we read this together? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That implies a couple of things. When he says go, that implies that it's not going to happen by mistake. We have to be intentional. And he says make disciples. That implies work. It's that four-letter word, work. And we tell our student leaders, we train them. We talk about how they can go out there, find the lost sheep on campus, feed the lost sheep on campus, and fight for the lost sheep on campus. And there is a lot of time and energy and sweat and prayer that they put into it. But it's worth it to get out of our comfort zone. It's worth it to go into that third space. It's worth it because we are called to make disciples. Can I encourage you, if you are leading a life group or you're part of a life group, don't give up. (laughs) Keep fighting. The thing that separates fruitful people, Christians that is, from those who are not fruitful is perseverance. The grace of grit. That's why Jesus said, here's the great commission, go and make disciples. But sometimes we leave out the great consolation. Lo, I will be with you always. See, when you separate the commission from the consolation, you will give up. But when you remember that God is with you always, you're like, I'm going to stick it out because it's only a matter of time where my labor will be rewarded. Somebody say it's worth it. Somebody say keep it moving. 2 Timothy 2, 2. You asked me to keep it moving, so I'm going to keep it moving. I want to finish this sermon up, trust me. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, he said, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. This is the New Living Translation. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. What Paul was telling Timothy was, I've discipled you. Now I need you to go disciple others. He was casting a vision for what God has done in you. He now wants to do through you. We have a mandate, not just to make disciples, but to make disciples who make disciples. See, we think, and if somebody can come up here and play on the keys, we're going to finish up, but if that's okay. um, We often think that the way that we can reach, let's say normal, is if we get as many people to church. Yes, that is so important. Praise God for the 912. Can we put our hands together for those who walked through the doors last week? And can we thank God for those who got water baptized today? Come on, can we praise the Lord? But how many others did not come to church? 
right? And they're not, we think sometimes, man, if we can just get like a Billy Graham of today to come and preach and lead people to Jesus, man, man, what can happen in our town, in our community? Well, I want to present to you that Jesus had a different motivation, a different method when he said, go and make disciples. Jesus understood that it's not going to be about the person up front on the platform at an event that's going to really turn the town upside down. That would be part of it. But really, it's going to be about going from house to house. It's going to be about making disciples who make disciples. It's going to be about each one reach one. It's going to be about fruitful life group ministries. It's going to be about exploiting the third spaces. And that's the difference between addition and multiplication. Let me give you guys a quick story. There was a study that was done. It's a simple math sort of project that if we had an evangelist who preached the gospel so anointedly that every day for an entire year, 100 people came to Jesus. That would lead to about 365, what's that, 36,500 people saved every single year. That's amazing, and we would celebrate that. But let's say if you had another person say, hey, I'll give you this super evangelist, that will lead over 36,000 people to Jesus every year? Or I'll give you one person who's going to faithfully disciple two others for the next year. Each one is going to reach one. We'll most likely take the super evangelist because we think they make a faster and a larger impact. Maybe in the short run. But if you had that evangelist in year two, 73,000, but the faithful discipler who did 2 Timothy 2 and 2, what God did in you, he wants to do through you, and then those went on to faithfully disciple, you would have nine. And year three, 109,000 to 27. It's still not looking good for the faithful discipler. Jump down to year 10. We're looking at 365,000 souls who never fall away, but those who faithfully disciple through life groups or small groups, 59,000. It's still only a third not even a third of what you see from the super evangelist. But look at year 12. Year 12, look at that. 531,000, if they faithfully disciple, they've already overtaken the super evangelist. By year 20, 3.5 billion, but the faithful, I'm sorry, the super evangelist would not have even hit a million. That's not even, what, a third of the city of Chicago. But if you went just one more year, and we didn't do this, but if you do the math, one more year, you're looking at, what, 10.5 billion? We've already hit the, we only have 7.3 billion in the entire world. I just think Jesus knew what he was talking about when he left his ministry to a faithful few versus big upfront ministries. You guys are in more strategic places than you know to be able to advance the kingdom of God. What would happen if we all exploited those third spaces? Can I end with a couple of stories? Is that okay? A couple of quick stories. There's a young man, speaking of multiplication instead of addition, this young man named Leland. 
He's a young man that came to our ministry from Texas, freshman at Columbia College, did not know Jesus, got involved with our ministry. Within a month and a half, he surrendered his life to Jesus. He went public with his faith. Next slide. That's him. That's me baptizing him about over two, about two and a half years ago. Leland, God radically changed this young man's life. But it wasn't enough for him to get saved. Like, we have to disciple this young man. And so I began to meet up with him and this young man, Jordan, for about two hours every single week for a year straight. Because we can't rush spiritual development. And we did life together, held each other accountable, memorized scriptures, read books to go deeper so we can be strong. Where Leland began to understand what God is doing in me, he wants to do through me. So he became a student leader. Next slide. We had an outreach at Columbia just this past fall, and it was an ice cream social. We just blessed the entire campus with ice cream. And Leland was there on the bottom right. On the top left of that picture, you see the young man, Stefan. This is our first time meeting Stefan. He's a young man who comes all the way from London, but he was born and raised in Romania. And he came to Chicago to have a world-class experience on a college campus. And let me just say, Christ was not involved in any of those plans. But because Leland was a young man on mission, he began to connect with this young man over some ice cream. Somebody say third space. That's what it was. Well, Stefan, this next picture shows October 8th, 2018. I had the honor of praying with Stefan a few moments before this picture was taken for him to give his heart to Jesus. Stefan got radically saved. His life was changed. And then Stefan himself went public and hit with his faith in front of the entire campus. Stefan began to get a burden for the lost because Leland began to disciple Stefan. And Stefan stood up in front of a group of about, just about 90 people there for our international night and shared his testimony radically about how God changed his life and how he wants to see others' lives changed through his life. Well, I came across some Chicago Bulls tickets and I connected and I said, I'm going to invite all these guys out to the Bulls game. And you can tell it's a Bulls game because it's pretty empty, right? Um, I'm a Bulls fan, so I can get away with that. Well, Stefan, you see him with the Chicago XA t-shirt. Well, the gentleman with the glasses was a friend of Stefan's named Bruno from Brazil. Stefan began to reach out to him. And Bruno wasn't coming to any of our large group worship meetings or anything, but Stefan was meeting him in a third space. Stefan invited him to a Bulls game. Bruno loved it because he saw us doing life on life together. We're hanging out. Nobody's swearing. Nobody's acting up. We're just loving Jesus. We prayed before we left. He's like, man, this is an interesting basketball game. Over the next several weeks, he begins to come to prayer meetings. He begins to come to worship gatherings. And about a month ago, Bruno gave his heart to Jesus. Stood up at one of our retreats, accepted Christ. And just two weeks ago, in front of the entire campus, Bruno got baptized. Leland right there, who was discipling him and reached out to him. I'm sorry, Stefan, who had reached out to him. But Leland had discipled Stefan, who reached out to Bruno. You guys get the picture, right? Come on. Each one, reach one. Next slide. This is Stefan's small group. Every last one of these in this picture got baptized about two and a half weeks ago. One of them stood up that night on the spot and said, I want to get baptized right now. 
Leland is making a difference because God has instilled in him the principle of discipling and multiplying, not just waiting for someone else to do the work and bring about addition. God wants to bring multiplication. Amen? Can I just tell you what God has done in you, God wants to do through you. Keep it moving. And there are some ways, if this is maybe your first or second or third time here at First Assembly, that you can keep it moving. The church is here to help you to go from a place of friendship to discipleship and maybe even perhaps leadership to impact others' lives. And Pastor Joel will come and share how you can get more involved. God bless you. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.